it's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. I'm Kelly Reese, in for Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. California's single-payer health plan legislation prepares for an important week. But despite being backed by the state's nurses' union, the legislation's biggest opponent just might be doctors. Tonight, the California Report looks back at U.S. doctors' staunch resistance to all previous attempts at single-payer health plans. We've got your local news and weather before KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza sits down with Nevada County Harm Reduction Coalition Director Beth Wilkins. And Mark Cunaberti is here with Money Matters. This is the California Report. I'm April Dimbaski in San Francisco. State lawmakers are introducing legislation that would require children attending public and private K-12 schools to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Governor Gavin Newsom passed a similar mandate last year, just like those for measles and polio, but his mandate includes a personal belief exemption. The new bill from State Senator Richard Pan would change that. We are taking that requirement away so that the state public health officer has the ability to actually put in the rules in place to protect children, especially if there's another pandemic. San Diego Unified School Board trustee Richard Barrera says he thinks only a small minority of parents are opposed to the vaccine. If a few people want to say that by sending their unvaccinated students to school, they're willing to risk the health and safety of all other students and educators, we need to send a different message. If the bill passes, only students with a medical exemption could skip the shot. In the next week, legislation that would help create a single-payer health plan in California will face a key test. The bill must pass out of the Assembly by January 31st, or it's dead. The effort is being led by the state's nurses' union, but on the other side, the state's largest association of doctors is opposed. It will disrupt people's health care at the worst possible time. Ned Wigglesworth is a spokesperson for the Protect California Healthcare Coalition. It will force all 40 million Californians into a new, untested state government program and will prohibit them from being able to choose private coverage even if they want it. There's some interesting history here. In all previous attempts to create a single-payer system in the U.S., the fiercest objections have always come from doctors. Joining me to talk about this history is Dr. Micah Johnson. He's the co-author of the book Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide, and he's a practicing internal medicine physician in Boston. Dr. Micah Johnson, good morning. Welcome to the California Report. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. In your book, you call doctors the perennial opponents of health reform. What events led you to draw that conclusion? So really, doctors have had a century-long history in the health reform debate, usually as the opponents. And that started back in the 1910s during the progressive era of reforms. This is after Germany in 1883 had passed health insurance. In 1911, Great Britain had passed health insurance. It seemed clear that the U.S. would be following suit. And initially, it looked like doctors in the American Medical Association were going to be supporters of the bill. But as the discussions unfolded, doctors turned. What were their concerns? The top one is really their own pay. And the second one being their autonomy in the practice of medicine. So, you know, going back to the 1910s and also in the 1940s, there's this fear that if there is a universal public insurance plan, that doctors are going to get paid less. 
So I think the most striking example is Harry Truman's healthcare proposal in the 1940s. This is the first and really only time a sitting U.S. president gave a full-throated endorsement of a single-payer style, truly universal national health insurance plan. And it was the American Medical Association were the top opponents of the plan. They hired a PR firm called Campaigns Inc. that rose to fame in California, helping to defeat a statewide universal health insurance plan in the state. The American Medical Association put an incredible amount of money behind this. So $3.5 million. In today's dollars, that's about $40 million. It was the largest lobbying campaign the nation had ever seen. And it worked. So at the beginning, the public was in support of this national health insurance plan, but then support dwindled over the years. And the vast majority of people had heard of the AMA's opposal uh, to, to the plan. When I talk to doctors or groups who are opposed to the single-payer proposals right now, they say their top concerns are their patients. I think doctors have been double agents in the health reform debate for the last century. And you know, we wear two hats in these conversations. We wear the hat of medical experts, people who know a lot about what's best for patients. Then we also wear a hat that's just our own personal financial interest. And I think these things can often get confused and, you know, can be leveraged against each other. In the early 60s, there was one of the early attempts to create a Medicare program for seniors. And back then, doctors hired Ronald Reagan to speak out against the idea. One of the traditional methods of imposing statism or socialism on a people has been by way of medicine. It's very easy to disguise a medical program as a humanitarian project. Most people are a little reluctant to oppose anything that suggests medical care for people who possibly can't afford it. Definitely a remarkable moment in the history of health reform there with, you know, doctors hiring Reagan. And even though Medicare passed, Ronald Reagan was also elected in a landslide in 1980 and ended up presiding over the Medicare program. Um, so we have all these, these ironies in health reform. How has doctors thinking evolved from the earliest 20th century to the Medicare days to now? I think we're really seeing an evolution. And First, seeing doctors support the Affordable Care Act in 2008, 2009. And then over the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of very interesting developments. One, now in most polls, a majority of doctors do support single-payer health care. And then secondly, we've seen that the American Medical Association, there's some internal debate about what the stance is going to be. And at one of the, in recent years, the big meetings for the American Medical Association it was actually the medical student chapter brought up a resolution to try to remove the AMA's opposition to single-payer health care, and it very narrowly failed. It got 47% support. So the AMA still opposes a single-payer, but we can see signs that things are changing. And then you have the second biggest group of doctors in the country, the American College of Physicians. This is where most of the generalist physicians are, and they now support single-payer health care as an option for moving forward on health reform. Dr. Micah Johnson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Personal Capital helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
News Philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, January 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm April Dombowski. Thanks for listening. Now let's take a look at regional news. Nevada County Public Health reports 298 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. Out of 13,713 cases since the start of the pandemic, 3,047 are active. 35 people are hospitalized, 6 in the ICU. The Office of the Nevada County Clerk Recorder and Registrar of Voters has temporarily shut its doors to in-person services after a group forced its way inside and pushed an employee, County Clerk Recorder and Registrar of Voters, Gregory Diaz says in a statement, quote, A group of recall proponents, displeased with our office's efforts to initiate a COVID-19 protocol and enforce a mask mandate, forcibly entered the Clerk Recorder Registrar's office lobby, demanding to know the status of their recall effort. They knew that our office was implementing a COVID-19 protocol, were asked to wear masks before entry and refused, and were offered alternative means to obtain our services, but refused to take them. Rather than work with us peacefully, three proponents stormed our office, pushed an employee, and claimed that they had a right to appear in our office in person, end quote, the statement explains. Diaz continues that in his position, his duty is to maintain a safe and healthy work environment, free of harassment, intimidation, and threat of violence. Quote, As the elected Nevada County Clerk, Recorder, Registrar of Voters, I have a duty to keep our guests and employees safe. Unfortunately, this means that we must close our lobby to in-person services temporarily, until our office can safely conduct business, end quote, Diaz says in his statement. Quote, Unlike public meetings, the office of the clerk recorder is not a public forum. There is an expectation that all visitors treat others, including our staff, with respect and decorum. End quote. This from the Union of Grass Valley. Placer County's Board of Supervisors is set to address certain homeless issues in a vote today. The ordinance up for discussion will limit camping on county property and in fire-prone areas. The county estimates about 600 unhoused residents live in the county, and nearly 100 have set up camp in front of the government building in Auburn. The Sacramento Bee reports the ordinance would allow county and law enforcement officials to force the encampment to move so construction crews can break ground on a new Health and Human Services building in March. The Nevada County Historical Landmarks Commission announced an exciting bit of local history today. They recently discovered famed Mexican artist and muralist Diego Rivera came to Grass Valley and Nevada City in 1930. At the time, he was working on two murals in San Francisco, one at the San Francisco Stock Exchange Tower, the other at the San Francisco Art Institute. Interested in obtaining real-life sketches of miners in the mining industry for use in his murals, Rivera traveled to Grass Valley and Nevada City, completing 51 sketches, many while visiting Empire Mine. The Morning Union newspaper covered his arrival on December 7, 1930, mentioning him again in another article on December 10. In 1997, the Getty Research Institute purchased the sketchbook, but it was only recently that the artwork was described in journal papers. The Nevada County Historical Landmarks Commission hopes to make more details available as they delve deeper into Rivera's time in gold country. Let's see what our regional weather has in store. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, Clear with a low around 36. 
Wind from 11 to 14 miles per hour and gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 61. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear with a low around 14. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 46 and calm wind. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 36. Wind from 5 to 7 miles per hour becoming light and variable after midnight. Tomorrow, we'll see areas of frost before 8 a.m., otherwise sunny with a high near 63. Up next, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Nevada County Harm Reduction Coalition Director Bethany Wilkins. I'm speaking today to Bethany Wilkins. She's the director of the Nevada County Harm Reduction Coalition. Bethany, thank you very much for talking with me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. What is the Nevada County Harm Reduction Coalition and when was it formed? So um, we started and we formed in the fall of 2020, um, kind of just a community response to the opiate overdoses we were seeing, um, directly more related to the fentanyl um, increase in fentanyl presence in local supplies. Um, and so we formed in the fall and um, we began offering free Narcan distribution um, to locals and the community and training um, different bars and community centers and events around how to identify a potential overdose, um, how to administer Narcan, and teaching a little bit about harm reduction principles and practices. Can you explain what harm reduction is? Absolutely. So harm reduction is um, more or less it's a set of practical strategies and ideas um, aimed at reducing the negative consequences that we see associated with you know, a um, action or behavior. And in this specific term, we're talking about harm reduction associated with drug use. It's about destigmatizing people who use drugs, not shaming them. You know, if you do drugs, you're a bad person, right? Um, harm reduction is the opposite of that. It's about accepting people where they're at. It is about not shaming them. It's offering support and services to them when they're ready, if they're ready. What exactly is Narcan? So Narcan is the brand name for a drug called naloxone. It's a, it's a really incredible drug. It is an opioid antagonist. So what that means is it's going to bind to the opioid receptors in your brain, and it can reverse and block the effects of, of opioids, such as heroin, morphine, oxycodone, um, fentanyl. Um, and so what that does is it blocks those receptors. It prevents more opiates from coming into the bloodstream, when someone is experiencing an opiate overdose, what's happening is they um, have extreme respiratory depression. Um, and what this does is it blocks those receptors from continuously being flooded with opiates and furthering that depression. So Narcan is not is over the counter then. It's not it's not necessary to have a prescription for Narcan. You do not need a prescription for Narcan. No, that's correct. Um, it is in the state of California. Our coalition um, gets it from the state. Um, we also, um, public health here in Nevada County has Narcan for free, um, the public defender's office. Um, and so we're able to obtain it through the state and then um, give it out legally. There's no age restrictions. It's incredibly safe. Um, I think something really important to touch on with Narcan is it cannot get you high if someone's experiencing something other than an opiate overdose. So maybe someone is having a seizure 
maybe someone is um, experiencing cardiac arrest, these things can kind of exhibit similar, similar symptoms. And if you started with Narcan and said, okay, I found this person that's unresponsive, you administer Narcan and they're not experiencing an opiate overdose, it actually isn't going to cause any harm. So it's a really great drug to just start with if you're not sure maybe what the person took, you're not sure if they're even overdosing because it, again, it can't cause any harm. It's just blocking opiate receptors in the brain. I think it's important to point out that not all opioid-related overdoses are caused by illegal drugs. Many are due to prescribed medicines. Right. If if someone listening wanted to take the next step, wanted to carry Narcan and be trained on how to use it, what would their next step be? Well, that's a great point that, you know, it's not just illegal drug use. Um, you know, if someone has like a pain pill that they've been prescribed and it's a extended release, perhaps. Um, and they forget they've already taken one, they take another, they could slip into overdose, right? So there's just, there's so many reasons why you should carry it. It's not just focused on illegal drug use. Um, so uh, yeah, if you were local and you were wanting to get your hands on some Narcan or test strips, you can contact us a few different ways. We have a phone number that is a warm line. So you can text or call it. It's 100% confidential. Um, we don't ask questions. We deliver to you or we can meet up um, in Grass Valley or Nevada City. Um, that number is 530-362-8163. And then we have a pretty strong Instagram presence. Um, our handle's at Nevada County Harm Reduction. And then we also just ha- uh, created a Facebook page. So we're on Facebook. And then our website as well is um, nevcoharmreduction.com. And that's all linked on our Instagram Um and then if you text as well, we could send you the list um, of like Instagram handles and uh, website information. I've been speaking with Bethany Wilkins. She's the director of the Nevada County Harm Reduction Coalition. You can contact them at 530-362-8163 or on Facebook and Instagram at Nevada County Harm Reduction. Bethany, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Next up, Money Matters. Mark Cunaberti is here to walk us through the wild roller coaster ride the stock market's been on these last two years. How does today's market compare with crashes of the past? Stick around to find out. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. When 2020 ended, we had hoped 2021 would bring us back to some sort of normalcy. COVID-19 had other plans, however, and it was not to be. Now, as we enter 2022, hopefully with better medical knowledge on how to deal with the virus, vaccines, and a somewhat milder version that the Omicron variant is rumored to be, we can only hope again the world returns to some sort of semblance of order. Unfortunately, right now, the market is not cooperating and falling uncharacteristically hard. In March of 2020, the Dow fell a stunning 38% in three weeks, which was the fastest swing from a bull market to a severe correction. At 38% down, it had arrived at a mathematical resistance point indicated by something called the Fibonacci method. The Fibonacci theory states that there are a variety of resistance points, of which some of the major ones in a stock market crash include down 38%, down 50%, and down 80%. At down 38% in March 2020, the COVID crash appeared to have halted its decline, and in hindsight, it nailed the Fibonacci resistance point of 38%, almost to a T. For comparison, other crashes, like the 2001 crash, hit the S&P by another Fibonacci point 50%. 
20%, and the Nasdaq hit 80% down, and the 29 to 1932 crash were also 80% down market-wide. All of these are Fibonacci numbers. This a coincidence? Can you imagine a 38% sell-off today? How about a 50% or 80% wipeout? Anything is possible in the world of stock markets. Are you prepared for that kind of crash? Very few investors are. 2021 arrived and early on the market started to bounce wildly with every new variant, new vaccine, and the latest rumors of government responses to COVID, which usually encompassed printing more money and giving it out. Although 2021 saw some scary sell-offs, it never witnessed the type of crash that occurred in March of 2020. The reasons for this are heavily debated, but it is thought the massive amount of money creation from all the rescue programs by the government to stave off massive economic damage from the shutdowns and COVID found its way into the stock markets, as money curation from the Fed usually does. Unfortunately, however, as a result, we are now witnessing another outcome of all this created cash, which is severe inflation. In order to stop inflation, the Federal Reserve will usually raise interest rates, which restricts the money supply and therefore slows the economy and probably puts a damper on the markets. The risk of a Fed tightening, which is raising interest rates, may be the cause for the current severe erosion in stock prices, as well as more shutdowns and the Omicron variant hitting businesses once again. No doubt the current fall is a serious event, already taking down the Nasdaq by over 12%, and some technology stocks in the Nasdaq, some popular names, are down 60-80% to 80% off their highs. Some analysts are calling for another 50% correction in the Nasdaq, while others say another 10% sell-off is in the cards for the market as a whole. Now here's the rub. Money creation will not cause inflation for the most part without velocity. Velocity is when money circulates more, when people spend it faster. However, right at this moment, money velocity is almost at a historic low. Velocity increases as more people acknowledge inflation and want to spend money to avoid higher prices later. With inflation at the highest rates it's been since 1982 right now, and money velocity still near zero, when velocity does pick up, inflation may outright crush the consumer. Coupled with the supply shortages due to COVID sick outs, the inflation that may be headed our way may be beyond what we have seen in our lifetime, barring the 1980s inflation, if you were alive back then like I was. If that happens, the feds will be forced to raise interest rates and not by the anemic one quarter of a percent we've seen by the current dovish market sensitive Federal Reserve to date. They may have to jack up rates a lot and quickly and that may crush the markets even more than what we are witnessing now. When and if the market reacts violently in response to an interest rate hike, those having no protection strategies, no sell points, no outs in their portfolio will likely see their balances move and possibly buy a lot, and maybe not in a good way. Already, the market has almost been relentlessly hammered with no end in sight at the time that I made this newscast, should inflation accelerate from here. The market may decline at an even faster pace in anticipation of an even more aggressive Fed to address this inflation. That's it for today's Money Matters. Remember, no one can predict market movements at any time, and this is not a recommendation to buy or sell anything, let alone any securities. This newscast is my opinion only and may not necessarily reflect those of this station and staff management or underwriters. I hold a degree in economics with honors at 1979 from San Diego State University. My website is moneymanagerradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station and you can see current market comments there. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email at mark at moneymanagerradio.com. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening.
that's our newscast for this Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. If you ever miss a part of an interview or want to listen to something a second time that caught your interest, you can always listen to the full extended versions of our stories and interviews on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Stick around, Embracing the Journey is up ahead at 6.30. In this episode, you'll hear what it's like to receive a terminal diagnosis and prepare yourself, family, and friends for the inevitable. Lori Burkhart Frank interviews her own father, Ed Burkhart, who is living with terminal stage 4 bone cancer. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director, Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening to the news this evening. Joyce Miller will be back with you next Tuesday. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.